The trend in women's fashion isn't a secret. It's granny panties. Women are going back to the old panties that grandma used to wear. And luckily, that's all I have to talk about on that one, because that one just out of reach for the range of the show that we have. We will tell you about the one that's at the very, 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 very bottom, though, the story that basically got absolutely no love this week. And of course, we'll tell you what's really important, the top 10 stories as per you, the stories you said were most conversational that passed throughout the week. So what stories are those? We'll get to those in just a bit here on the weekly wrap-up show from ThisIsAConversation.com. I'm Jacob and Payne with the show, and this is the show for the week ending November the 9th, 2019. And welcome to the show. I'm Jay Cleveland Payne, as stated previously. And of course, as also stated previously, you're listening to the weekly wrap up show. This is a podcast produced by The Conversation Project, and this is theconversation.com. And what happens in this podcast is very simple. Our website, our project, our thingamabob is to see what conversations, what stories, what actual activities, things going on in the world are the most conversational with people actually out there, not just what the news people tell us are the breaking news things that don't really break, they just sort of stay all day. So what you get is via our website and our social media feeds on Facebook and Twitter is every 50 minutes a new headline, a new story, a new item from somewhere around the world, various sources, some you may love, some you may not like so much, that gives you something to react to. We ask for your reaction, you simply do what you do when normally in social media. You interact with it, like it, love it, hate it, share it. The more interaction you give to the stories in the social media hits, the more ranking they get every week. And then on Friday mornings, this podcast goes from Friday to Friday. We take those numbers from Twitter and Facebook, put them in a spreadsheet, weigh them out evenly, and get a raw score to give you the top to the bottom. Top, of course, the number one story of the week. The bottom story this week, 208. 208 different, distinct, different stories we posted throughout the week. And we'll tell you about the bottom and the top. We'll also tell you about the stories somewhere off-centered. Segment one, of course, tap 10 from 10 to 1. Segment two, we'll talk about our shout-outs, give you love to people who gave us love throughout the week in the reporting. And we'll talk about the most relevant story of the week, as I said, story 208, uh, and tell you why it may or may not be more important than it should be. This is one that oddly got very little response very early on that may mean something going forward, and we'll get to why that's there as well. Third segment, we talk about the stories in the 11 through 15 spot, stories that didn't quite make it in range for a top 10, and we give a quick update of what they were, why they were close, but not, not, not close enough. So let's go ahead and get started right now. Oh, I didn't tell you how to actually get your votes in. Let me do that. That's the most important part is you because you do the bulk of the work for what we do around here. Follow us on Twitter at TH underscore conversation on Facebook and Instagram. Look for This is a Conversation. And as you see the stories come down your feed when you're checking other stuff, just engage with them as you see fit. And the more engagement they get, please read them as well. The more engagement they get, as we say, the higher the score goes for the week. Let's go ahead and get this thing started. The story in the number 10 spot for the countdown is this one. Headline, Facebook changes corporate logo to distinguish products from main app. CNET.com is our source for this one, techie as they are. We posted this to you guys on Tuesday, the 5th of November, and this story goes a little something like this. Facebook's logo is getting a refresh. On Monday, the social media giant said it's changing its corporate logo from one that's synonymous with its main Facebook app and website to one that can better mesh with the other products it owns and operates, including Instagram, WhatsApp, and Oculus. Antonio Lucio, 
Facebook's chief marketing officer said in the blog post that the new branding, which has Facebook's name spelled out in a different font that in the one it's, it's adorned its namesake service for years, was, quote, designed for clarity and uses custom typology and capitalization to create visual distinction between the company and the app. The new logo is designed to pair with various services, changing color to match the product and accompanying such as green for WhatsApp and purple and orange hue that's associated with Instagram. The move is also a sign that Facebook is trying to make it more obvious to consumers that it owns other social media networks and messaging services. In October, the Pew Research Center released a survey that showed that only 29% of Americans know Facebook owns both WhatsApp and Instagram. Now, you can go deeper into all the stories that we talked about today because all the links to all the stories, including one of the tease about the granny panties that we're not going to talk about, links to those stories are at the website for thisisaconversation.com for the week ending November the 9th, 2019, that podcast. But a little deeper that you maybe want to go into this is everybody knows that Facebook has actual problems. I'm not sure if it's 99, but this one may not really be one. This, while the article calls this a distinction, Maybe more of a distraction, maybe more of a something gets mind off Facebook's mind, the world's mind off of some other issues, including being blasted right now for how they are handling political ads, essentially letting political ads be whatever they want to be and say whatever they want to say, as long as you are, quote unquote, a real politician. Moving on, our second story, or technically our ninth story of the week, has a headline that goes like this. China sentences nine over fentanyl trafficking after U.S. tip. This story we got from USA Today, we posted it to the world. Also, this one on Thursday, I should say, Thursday, the 7th of November. And this story gets a bump in response. That means more people responded to this one than the last one of 3.23%. Some lines from USA Today's write-up of the story follow now. A Chinese court sentenced nine fentanyl traffickers Thursday in case in a case that was a culmination of a rare collaboration between Chinese and U.S. law enforcement to crack down on global networks that manufacture and distribute lethal synthetic opioids. Liu Yang was sentenced to death with a two-year reprieve, and Zhang Zhua and Wang Fangzi were sentenced to life in prison. Six other members of the operation got lesser sentences, ranging from six months to ten years. Working off a tip in 2017 from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security about an online drug vendor who went by the name Diana, Chinese police busted a drug ring based in the northern Chinese city of Zhangtai that shipped synthetic drugs to the USA and other countries from the gritty Kleinstein laboratory. They arrested more than 20 criminal suspects and seized 26 pounds of fentanyl as well as 48 pounds of other drugs. Informed, the enterprise resembled a small business with a perky sales force, online marketing, contract manufacturing, and sophisticated export operation, according to U.S. and Chinese law enforcement. Uh, you can go deeper into the story there, but this is one that's a good one. With all the stories we have out of China lately, which have essentially been the Hong Kong unrest and all the stories we have in the United States dealing with the fentanyl issue, a big issue with drugs and opioids in general, this is an absolutely okay awesome thing to have go down and the fact that the two companies or two countries worked together to get this thing done is a plus as well now whether we'll get a trade agreement done or whether we'll agree on what human rights work on that's something that's going to take a bit longer to work out but essentially putting away criminals because people selling drugs they may not worry about you know all the electrical property stuff but selling drugs to other countries is a problem for china as it is for the rest of us around the world Let's keep it going with the story at the 8th spot. Gordon Sunderland deposition 
Key diplomat changes testimony and admits quid pro quo with Ukraine. The story was posted on Tuesday, the 5th of November, and we got a bumper response from this one from the number nine story of just 1.04%. So very slight, but just enough to make it that much more higher. More important, I guess. The source for the story is CNN.com. Let's read you a bit from the politics section there when they originally posted this on the 5th. In a significant reversal, a top U.S. diplomat revised his testimony to impeachment investigators to admit a quid pro quo linking U.S. aid to Ukraine with an investigation into President Donald Trump's political rival. U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sutherland on Monday sent the committee's a three-page addition to his testimony, saying he had remembered a September 1st conversation in which he told a top aide to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky that the security aid was linked to investigators investigations into former Vice President Joe Biden and the 2016 election. A quote, I now recall speaking individually with Mr. Andrei Yemkek, where I had where I said resumption of U.S. aid would likely not occur until Ukraine provided the public anti-corruption statement that we had been discussing for many weeks, Solomon said. Sutherland's new testimony, which was included in the public release of the closed-door deposition transcript on Tuesday, adds to Democrats' evidence that the president connected the freezing of U.S. security aid to Ukraine to investigations into Biden, as well as the hacking of the Democratic National Committee servers during the 2016 election, which cuts to the heart of the impeachment case against Trump. The committee have had heard, now heard from several witnesses, including top U.S. diplomats at Ukraine, Bill Taylor, and National Security Council aide Tom, Tim Morrison, who have testified that Ukraine operating such investigations was linked to $400 million in U.S. security aid and a one-on-one meeting between Trump and Zelensky. This is a story that goes deeper and deeper and gets crazier and crazier. And as they said in Alice in Wonderland, where is sir and warrior sir? I believe that's where that was said. I believe that's where that quote comes from. So if you want to discuss this thing, because this is something that's been the breaking news Chiron stuff that's been pretty much overtaking everything for the past couple of weeks, uh, including the fact that now all these testimonies are going to be very much public starting next week. Uh, you can always uh, chat with us by emailing us. Email the conversation inbox at gmail.com and we can talk about any story that we had in this countdown this week or pretty much anything you want to do that. And talk about anything going further as well. Not to make light of domestic situations or situations with people who are in Congress who are working to defend and represent us in Washington. But this seems to be something that's becoming a, a an issue, something that's becoming a phenomena, something that's becoming a regular thing, which is an oddity. Here's your headline for number seven this week. U.S. Representative Elon Omar divorces husband in Minnesota. AP News, our source of this one, so it's straightish news for this one. Tuesday, the 5th of November, today we posted this 3.09% bump in response. Here are some lines from the AP story. Representative Ilan Omar has officially divorced from her husband in Minnesota just a month after she filed a petition saying there were irretrievable an irretrievable breakdown in their marriage. Omar and Ahmed Hersey have been married since January 2018, but were longtime partners. Omar said Hersey is the father of her three children. The marriage was dissolved Tuesday after paperwork was signed by court personnel. The divorce comes months after a Washington, D.C. woman accused the Democratic Congresswoman of having an affair with her husband. When Omar was asked at the time whether she was separated from Hearst or dating someone, she told WCCO-TV, quote, No, I am not, unquote, since she has since denied, declined to discuss her personal life. 
Omar's attorney, Jamie Driggs, says Omar's grateful she and Hershey have reached a resolution for the sake of their children. And attorney for Hershey did not respond for the comment. Quick story because it's AP, not a lot of dirt in that one. But did not go too much in the commentary. I'm I don't understand why it's such a big struggle for people going to Congress on their personal lives. I do understand stress and struggle, but this is something that happened here. We had the issue with uh, the representative who has now had to resign because she was having an affair and then not an affair, and her husband was getting back with revenge porn. Um, it, this is a uh, this, this is weird. This doesn't make any sense. These are people we're supposed to be holding to a higher regard, a higher standard. We should be holding them to a higher standard, and we can't because we can't seem to hold anyone to a higher standard. I don't want to get into her personal life, and if there's something between her and her husband or f- former husband, that's fine. They're taking care of their kids. All is great. But I don't understand why these things are popping in headlines and not headlines on these people doing the job they're being sent there to do, which is also an issue that people can dispute as well. You want to fight me on that one, email me, theconversationinbox at gmail.com. We can discuss this one. We can discuss Katie Hill from last week. We can discuss anybody who is doing any type of dirty thing with or without their partners on Capitol Hill anytime you want to via the email machine. Moving on to the story at number six this week, the headline, hundreds of Oklahoma inmates being released Monday in largest commutation in U.S. history. Monday, the 4th of November dated this one, 22% bump in response on that one. So this is a story that's actually pretty keen and important. I'm glad more people got into this one. Rereading, We are reading from, speaking properly, NBC News' website, our source on this story. More than 400 inmates across Oklahoma were released from prison Monday in what the governor's office calls the largest single-day mass commutation in the nation's history. The Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board approved the commutations Friday and forwarded them to Governor Kevin Stitt, a former mortgage company CEO who was elected in 2018. The board voted unanimously to recommend that the sentences of 527 state inmates be commuted, with 462 of those inmates slated to walk out of prison Monday and 65 others being held on detainer. Quote, with this vote, we are fulfilling the will of Oklahomans. That's from Steve Buckley, uh, Bickley, should say, the executive director of the board. Uh, he said that in a statement on Friday. More from him. However, from day one, the goal of the project has been more than just the release of low-level nonviolent offenders, but the successful re-entry of these individuals back to society. Instead, a Republican has advocated for criminal justice reform, pledging to move away from policies that have made Oklahoma the state with the highest incarceration rate in the country. That that says a lot. At a news conference on Friday, Stitt hailed the decision to give hundreds of Oklahomans, quote, a second chance. A quick word from him. This marks an important milestone in Oklahomans wanting to focus the state's efforts on helping those with nonviolent offenses achieve better outcomes in life. The historic commutation of individuals in Oklahoma's prisons is only possible because our state agencies, elected officials, and partnering organizations put aside politics and work together to move the needle. Now, this is something you might want to go click on the link at our website. This is the conversation.com. Uh, the link for this week's podcast, which is, of course, week ending November the 9th, 2019. And go deeper into the story because there's more into how they got to be here. But this is a good sign. After the last story on, you know, the things people are dealing with personally on Capitol Hill and in politics in general, seeing that Oklahoma and the government can figure out a way to get along long enough to do something that, in my eyes, seems to be pretty good 
is a great thing. More of these things should be done on more levels in more cases. We'll see if our politicians learn from this to do more good things or just don't seem to actually ever learn at all. Number five story this week, FCC approves T-Mobile Sprint merger despite serious concerns. Wednesday, the 6th of November is the date that we got this one into you guys. 4.10% bump in response on this one. This article's source is TechCrunch. Let me give you some lines from TechCrunch and go deeper into it, if you will. The FCC has given the stamp of approval to T-Mobile and Sprint's proposed merger, saying the deal will, quote, enhance competition, unquote, and hasten 5G deployment. Those opposed say the merger defies common sense, creating a tramuvulent of mobile giants that will, quote, divide up the market, increase prices, and compete only for the most lucrative customers. There you go. The two mobile companies have been attempting to merge for years, ostensibly in order to compete with the considerably larger AT&T and Verizon. Disclosure, TechCrunch is owned by Verizon Media, but this does not affect our coverage of the slightest. Thank you, TechCrunch. Previous attempts to deals were blocked more or less on the grounds that while a consolidated market might make the T-Module Sprint intensity more competitive, it would be a net negative for consumers who would have less choice than ever. The announcement of the $60 million FTC settlement over anti-consumer business practice by AT&T when they had leverage to carry them out is a timely reminder of the general temperament of mobile carriers. So there you go. What's happening is we'll now have a, a merger between those two. That will be Sprint and T-Mobile. So there'll be less commercials of the two compar- com- basically complaining about each other and more of them complaining about the other two big guys. And it will, cut, as I said, that word triumphant, or if I'm full it up again, um, triumvirant. Totally butchering that one. Essentially, AT&T, Verizon, and the new Sprint T-Mobile will be the top three, which... Uh, isn't so much a bad thing, except for the fact that they tend to have very poor business practices and bully up on everybody else in the process. We'll see if that will actually happen or whether the competition will get better because two become one and should offer better service in theory. But if you had a cell phone more than a minute, you'll know that sometimes that theory just doesn't really pan out in reality. Story number four, Governor Matt Bevins refuses to concede Kentucky race even after Secretary of State calls for Democrat Andy Beshear. Wednesday, also this one, November the 6th as well, a 0.79% bump in response to get to four, just slightly moving up. Uh, we'll read you a bit on this one because it's still actually an issue, even though this is days past, but we'll read you from it as it was written a few days ago. After a highly contested race, Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin is refusing to concede a seat, even though the race has been called in favor of his opponent by Kentucky Secretary of State Allison Lungan Grimes on CNN, according to Fox News. That's a lot of accordings to. The Associated Press also refused to call a winner due to the tight margin of the race. Bevins, citing irregularities in the voting process, that's a quote from him, has decided not to step down until a recount. At press time, Bevin's opponent, Andy Bashir had 49.2% of the votes. The number with that, 711,955 exactly, to 48.9% for Bevin. The Libertarian candidate, John Hicks, received 28,475 votes, or 2% of the vote. 
So that keeps somebody from getting a 50% because they're both basically at 50 minus that 2%. So it's just a slight bump. I mean, not, not even that much light, about 0.4% difference between point, maybe 0.3. Math is bad in, in theory. I'll go in there. So the current governor is not stepping down. He's waiting for official recount hand by hand, vote by vote, point by point, to make sure that he has actually lost the race. That's going to take a while. We'll see how that one plays out over time. The story getting the most Facebook love this week, also one of the most fastest growing stories in period this week, but we'll actually the fastest one will go to number two. But the story in number three spot this week, here's our headline from literally yesterday as we record this on Friday the 8th. Senator Kamala Harris announces new bill to end school at 6 p.m. to help working parents. Workingmother.com, a blog, posted this one, and we posted it to you guys yesterday, of course, the 7th of November. That's a Thursday, a 9.38% bump in response from the fourth story. I'm going to give you a quick summary of what's in this to keep things going, keep things moving. So basically what's going to happen is Senator Kamala Harris wants to relieve parents of some of the stress they have in their schooling because school starts so early and gets out around 3 o'clock and there's that empty bit of time on people's schedule they have to figure out health care or, or child care and things like that, keeping up with kids. Her plan to end school at 6 p.m. doesn't mean school starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. doesn't mean school starts at, at, at 12 p.m. and ends at 6 p.m. What it really means is that school starts at regular times and it puts into place government-funded programs to have school aftercare, essentially. Your school runs like normal, and then if your child needs aftercare, there are plans paid for by the government, plans paid for by the school districts, plans just in place, so your school has aftercare at the place. Now, there are a couple things in my mind that really, really, really get get, uh, get fired off on this one. Number one, I have a child who's in the second grade, so she's required aftercare all of her care all of her life and aftercare all of her school life because I tend to work past 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And currently this year, she is now going to aftercare at her school, which makes it a bit easier to kind of maneuver because you just show up at her school and pick, and she stays there. Uh, otherwise, we had to go to the daycare. They have the van, all the stuff like that. There are issues with the cost of child care, the whole van thing, and issues with the cost of aftercare at the same school, which is also kind of a racket. But there's issues with how things work out in the school systems. We're having issues in my city where the school board is having some serious issues with just schools in general and putting to them the task of keeping up with kids for a couple extra hours doesn't seem like it's something that they can do very easily since right now they can't seem to just teach the kids in the normal standard eight-hour workday. We'll see what Kamala Harris's actual plan comes to be and whether you know, if she becomes president, she can put it into place or if she becomes some sort of influential person and can convince whoever is the president to put it into place, whether it's actually viable. I have an issue that while it sounds great, I'm not sure it's quite viable and worth the money that she thinks she's going to spend for it. If you disagree with me, we can argue this one online. We can do it in the comments back and forth and social media. Or, of course, email me at theconversationinbox at gmail.com. And we can go deeper into this one. Now, the story that actually was the fastest growing story, uh, quickest growing story, we should say. Uh, we posted it yesterday as well, ter- Thursday, the 7th of November. A bump in response from the three story of 12.86%. Uh, but this one had a lot of response on both ends, so it helped it grow pretty quick. Las Vegas homeless camping ban, despite protests, becomes law. 
USA Today is where we pull this from. Let me read you some lines from this one because this is a big, big deal. A proposed ordinance to criminalize camping or sleeping on downtown streets when beds are available at established shelters passed Wednesday night against a backdrop of protests in the Ground City Hall. Protesters flooded the Las Vegas City Council chambers with signs reading, quote, poverty is not a crime and eat the rich, while others led chants of disapproval aimed at Mayor Carolyn Goodman, who sponsors the bill and council members. None of it swayed the council which voted 5-2 to two in favor of the law. The measure will apply to the city's downtown urban core, not the Las Vegas Strip, which is overseen by a different jurisdiction. That's what's important right there. Um, a line of people waiting to comment on the ordinance wrapped around the chambers. Before the first comment, Goodman warned the crowd that anyone speaking out in the audience risked being kicked out of the meeting. Uh, which meant a lot of people going back and forth. Uh, there were a flood of handouts to the people in public telling people what was going on. The basic breakdown of this is money. People are protesting the fact that there's money to build new places to have sports venues and entertainment venues, but there's not so much enough money to take care of the homeless problem. And on top of that, flip it around. People are saying that there are homeless shelters and things out there available for people to receive. There are plenty of beds out there to be found, but the homeless people literally aren't finding them and just camping in the streets. Homelessness is becoming an issue across the nation and becoming a big, serious issue beyond the general eyesore. It's becoming an issue that's becoming a health epidemic, a health issue as well. Uh, how we fix it is a very, very complicated thing. Kicking them off the streets is a very, very deep way to do this. We'll see how this one breaks down as well because this is something that's not going to be fixed anytime soon. But what will come to an end in about 20, 25 minutes or so is this whole podcast. But right now, we're at the end of the top 10. So we found the rest of the stories that you said were the top ones of the week, the ones that were most conversational, not just what were on the Chirons from the breaking news. And the number one story is also number one Twitter engaged story as well. This gets a bump of response of 22.15% from the number two story on Las Vegas homelessness, a bump in response of 107% from the number 10 story, Facebook changing its corporate logo, and story 208, the very bottom, or the almost relevant story of the week, a bump in response of 920,000, 000, 000. 920,000, right there you go. We posted on Tuesday, the 5th of November, so this one had plenty of time to hang out and be around. This one, a very gruesome story, a very uh, ghastly story, but one that you guys had the most most interest in this week. Woman found dead in Ohio home was likely killed by her Great Danes. NBC News, the source on this one. Let me read you some of this one and, and let me warn you, it is a, more than a big graphic. A woman found dead in her Ohio home last week was likely killed by her Great Danes, authorities said Monday. Police in Clear Creek Township, south of Dayton, said that Mary Matthews, now 49, may have been intox so intoxicated that she didn't realize how badly she'd been bitten and didn't call for help. Matthews was found Friday afternoon by her husband, Dale Matthews, who was released from Warren County Jail that day, and his son. When Officer Wendy Blaha responded to a report of a possible overdose at Matthews' home, she found walls covered in blood and Matthews lying on the floor of her bathroom, a police report said. Matthew's body was covered in puncture wounds and appeared to be missing a piece of flesh from her ankle, the report says. She wasn't breathing and her body was rigid, according to the report. Blaha found two large, thin Great Danes on an enclosed deck that was so littered with feces that the, quote, actual deck could not be seen, unquote. 
Dale Matthews told Blaha that one of the dogs was, quote, vicious and had been had bitten several people, including him. Dogs are taken by the warden for bite mark comparisons. The report says the Warren County Coroner's Office told NBC News the dogs will be euthanized. Dave Dale Matthews told Blaha that his wife began most days taking numerous prescription medications and drinking beer. Authorities concluded that Mary Matthews likely got the dogs outside after one or both of them attacked her, then felt she could handle things on her own, the report says. She was killed the same day she was found, according to the coroner's office, and was last seen alive two days before she died. The preliminary cause of death is listed as attacked by dogs, the coroner's officers said. We're going to wrap things up on that one. We're going to just leave that one there and just kind of go on. We are definitely sending out thoughts and prayers to the families and people involved in this one. Not much, nothing snarky that you can be said in this one that even relevant, even relevant, even can be said. So we're going to wrap up on that one and move on towards our next batch of things. Of course, you get a chance to have your say in what we talk about and what stories are in this countdown and the top story, as always, we say it's per use. So if you want more stories of a different type, you need to keep up what's going on throughout the day and make sure you're responding to the stories that are the most interesting, most crucial, or maybe some of these ones you just really, really hate the most. Sometimes those stories, people's stories that you don't like are the ones that make it to the top because that's the way it goes. And it's very simple. Follow us on Facebook at This Is A Conversation. Follow us on Twitter at TH underscore conversation. As you see those stories pop up in your feed, Click on them and let them let us know what you think about it. Like them, love them, hate them, share them. The more engagement a story gets inside of the feed, the higher it goes in the final tally every single week. And then you get what you have here, a countdown from 10 to 1 in the first segment of the story. Moving to the second segment, we're going to go to our shout outs. We're going to say hi and give some love to people who gave us extra love this week. And, of course, talk about the almost relevant story of the week, a story so, so, so out of focus, barely no one paid attention to it which may mean something for people who should be paying attention to our election coming up literally a year from now. That's up next, the next segment here on the weekly wrap-up show with me, Jay Cleveland Payne. This is a show for the week ending November the 9th, 2019. The Conversation Project. This is Conversation.com, and the weekly wrap-up show are powered by you. That means you make this thing go, and you do this by essentially making sure the funds are there to make sure we can pay for things. There are various ways you can help us get this thing going, keep this thing going, I should say. Uh, you can contribute directly by buying me a cup of coffee. That can be done at buymeacoffee.com slash Payne. You can become a patron, a monthly sponsor, by going to patreon.com slash this is a conversation, or you can visit one of our sponsors at the website or inside the newsletter and things like that. We highlight a sponsor every week so you know exactly who's taking care of us so they can hopefully take care of you. And we'll do a quick highlight of one of our very favorite sponsors. That is Cloud9 Living. They keep popping up in the spotlights because people keep telling me they love them and I love them as well. So it's a great one to really tell people about. People always get great things from Cloud9 Living because it's what they really are looking for, a great excursion a beautiful vacation something out of the way that's a bit out of the ordinary to get some life into their life and that's what they provide cloud Nine living has over two 
2,000 different excursions, 2,000 different experiences from really, really exciting to really, really relaxing. And they're all over the place and somewhere near you or near where you really would like to go. So check them out at our website. Our link gives you a special deal for when you buy a gift certificate, you can get 10% off that cost of the gift certificate. And of course, all gift certificates and even all excursions paid up front never lose value. You can pay for it and then wait to use it. And no matter how long you wait, you'll never lose a penny for that, that gift. Check it out at thisisaconversation.com slash cloud9. That's numero nine, of course. This is a conversation.com slash cloud nine. Check it out and see what you can do to get us a little bit of help and get yourself a great excursion. Check out what they have on list because they have so many great things. You'll fall in love with them before you even get a chance to fall in love with them. They are cloud nine living. Shout out, showing some love to some folks who showed us extra love this week on the social media. Starting off with the Facebook shout outs at This Is The Conversation on Facebook. Make sure you go to the website or go to Facebook and like us there so you see what's coming down. And of course, make sure we are a prime, the fault feed into your information feed so you get us what we put down every single day, basically every single hour. Quick big love to Big O from In The Black Podcast, who, by the way, they're not in the spotlight this week for podcasts, but what they're predicting out next week is a special Veterans Day edition of the podcast. They're sending out love and some support and talking to um, some veterans on how life is, was, and will be in the life, and I was hopefully going to be a chance to be a part of that. I could not be a part of the episode, but I'll definitely be listening when it comes out next week. Also love to Ruth M. Miller, Vicki Young, Tony Brown, uh, Baronet Black, the MRD podcast as well, who's sharing some of our stuff. Thank you, podcasters, helping out podcasters. Uh, Ernestina Let West, and also Jerica Melvin, and plenty more out there. Just keep on showing us love. We'll keep shouting you out as we go along. A very quick jump over to the Twitter folks. These are people who gave us extra responses in their tweets this week as well, including the Felicia Rasad fan, who uh, was happy about us posting about the Soul trailer yesterday. Also, Artificial Autism Intelligence, Matt Steady, Drink in the Movies, thank you podcasters, uh, Sharon Green, those podcast guys, or those, or those guys podcast, also Darren Clark, and one more love to Emily Williams. Thank you so much for all of that love you guys showed us this past week. Not all love showed to the almost irrelevant story of the week, story number 208, um, it is, it's amazing. There was actually a bunch of stories. This story was posted on Saturday, the 2nd of November, and we had a, about three stories that were essentially in that range of almost no responses, and this one, basically no response whatsoever. All As I said, 192,000% less responsive than the first story, the top story this week. And it's one that should be more important to many people, but it wasn't. So I'm not going to even go very deep into the reading of the story because if you cared, you would have read the story and you probably actually saw this as one of the national headlines. The headline we have is Elizabeth Warren releases plan to pay for Medicare for all. CNBC was where it was posted, at least our source to this one. And as I said, if you cared, you'd have been into it. Now, one of the biggest things about Elizabeth Warren and her run to the to election to get the Democratic nomination is the fact that she is more or less Bernie Sanders light, but not quite Bernie Sanders light in the way of the socialism talk. She just 
doesn't call herself a socialist. She just and she gives more detailed plans on how she's going to get around some things. The biggest thing that she is pulling for is Medicare for all, or some version of it, which many people, including many new people running against her, say sounds great. How are we going to pay for it? And people really want the stuff to keep the things they have going on. Medicare for all essentially means an ending for all your private insurance in essentially any form or any form that's that's necessarily useful for something that's going to be more expensive in the long run because we are all paying for it and a bit more cumbersome because if it's run by the government, which makes it a bit more cumbersome. Warren has a plan for everything, and she released her plan to pay for it. She releases a lot of plans lately on how to pay for a lot of things, and a lot of people aren't so happy about the way it's going. The big issue that people are afraid of about Elizabeth Warren, if she is the person nominated to run against Donald Trump, is that it makes a very easy socialist versus capitalist argument. And in those cases, the capitalist should win, except in this case, the capitalist who's who would be in, in the driver's seat is a very bad capitalist and I don't believe should win, but that's me politicizing. That's not me saying anything that worth that is worth much in this case, but that's her story at the number 208 spot this week, the very bottom of the entire ratings for the week, the almost irrelevant story of the week. This one isn't a silly story that didn't get any love. This one's a fairly important story that for some reason still didn't get any love. Coming up in mere moments, we'll round out the top 15, go through stories 11 through 15, stories that weren't quite good enough, but still kind of good. I think so. Maybe you will, too. We'll talk about those in just a bit. Coming back with more of the weekly wrap-up show from ThisIsTheConversation.com with me. I'm Jay Cleveland Payne, and this is a show for the week ending November the 9th, 2019. This week's podcast in the spotlight is a podcast called Spy Stories. It's one you've heard me talk about before from some very good friends of mine who make great podcasts. The, the owners, the operators behind the Context and Clarity podcast open up a second one called Spy Stories. It went deeper into their, oddly enough, love for spies and stories and, oddly enough, research. Very well-researched uh, podcast that has the host talking about some spies. Some people you didn't know were spies. Some people you knew were spies. It goes deep into stories and the interesting lives that they held. Some of those lives are extremely tragic. Some of them very, very funny. Some of them very surprising. If you enjoy going back in the deep catalog, they go into Admiral Stockdale, who, of course, once ran for vice president, and his story is story as an actual spy. And a big, great, interesting episode on Josephine Baker, believe it or not. She had some espionage back in her background, a lot of things that she did. Check out Spy Stories. It's a great podcast that's uh, just a breakaway from the norms, if you will, a way to kind of cleanse your palate from all the political stuff or all the newsy stuff and things going on. If you're one of those types of podcasts, listening to things like this one here, it'll give you a great way to kind of clear your head and get into just some things that are true, true to life, and sometimes extremely hard to believe. It is Spy Stories. You can find them on Podbean at spystories.podbean.com and check them out. Chuck and Karen do a great job. It's well, well researched and very well presented. Check them out. It's called Spy Stories. It is our Spotlight Podcast of the Week. We're now where we round out the top 15. We go through the stories not quite in range for 
the view this week. Not quite in the top 10 range. Obviously not because they're 11 through 15. A bit if bit of information on when they were, why they were, and why they were kind of out left out maybe. The headline from number 11 is a simple one. Elon Musk schedules tes- Tesla pickup truck unveil for November 21st. Read that three times fast. But Elon Musk is finally coming out with his pickup truck, the electric version, because everything at Tesla is electric, uh, coming out on November 21st. There's a lot of people interested to see this thing go, literally see this thing go, see how well it's going to go. And the biggest issue with pickup trucks, the reasons why you get them, is to haul stuff around. The issues with the Teslas is they're electric, they're fast, they're clean, and they're pretty sharp. But there is issues that deal with mostly on long distance i.e. how do you charge them on long distances we'll see how the pickup actually looks how it works how well it tows and and carries which is a big deal for that one posted this one on thursday the 7th of november also the number 12 story this week for the first time in history girls won all five top prizes in the broadcom masters stem competition this story posted on wednesday the 6th of november and the source we used was a blog called The Mighty Girl that someone posted, someone in my Facebook feed posted. And as I go searching for different things, I go searching through various different ways to find the sources for ideas supposed to put into the podcast and on social media feeds from different apps to straight to the news sources to various other people and commentators too. People, my friends and coworkers and people I know are talking about and looking for things and vetting those. This is a very good story. You need to go check it out. Click the link at the website. This is conversation.com. The link for this week's podcast, podcast week ending November the 9th, 2019. Read deeper into the story as posted there. And if you have a young girl and you're looking for ideas to keep on how to keep them going, check out this blog as well. It may be one to put into your repertoire for looking on things very so often to keep up while things are going. Let's look on to the story that's sitting at 13. This one is an interesting one, and it's I'm surprised it didn't get more response, but we get a chance to talk about it slightly right here, and this is the headline right here. Kansas City voters approve a plan to remove Martin Luther King's name from street. Wednesday, the 6th of November, today we posted that one as well. The source that we have is off the hill, and you can go deeper into anywhere to find exactly what's going on with this one. But this is something that's extremely serious. The voters in the city want to remove the name of King, or King's name, I said, off a chunk of street in Kansas City. And this is an interesting thing because city can name a street wherever they want to. These streets obviously named to commemorate uh, the life and the works of Dr. Martin Luther King. Many of these streets are in predominantly black neighborhoods. And ironically, they're often in places that aren't necessarily the best parts of town. So it's it's an interesting stretch to go through. Read more of the story to see exactly what the deal is on this one and what you feel about it. If you want to discuss it further, email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com to go deeper into it. The number 14 story is actually a continuation, a more on the story, uh, not quite the rest of, but in a continuation update to the story that popped into the countdown last week. North Carolina teacher accused of sex with student found dead with husband posted on Wednesday, the 6th of, of November. 
We pulled this from People Magazine, or People Magazine's website. This is a story last week of the teacher uh, who was was accused of having sex with a 17-year-old student. The teacher herself, Emma Neal Ogle, 63 years old, uh, she and her husband were found dead in their home after a family called them to have a welfare check on them uh, on the day. They both suffered gunshot wounds. Uh, Not quite sure whether it was a murder-suicide or what exactly the deal was, but they have both... They're both dead. She was facing charges on this, allegedly, although he, the, the kid admitted to it. That's why this came down to it. Her having sex at 63 with a 70-year-old student. So she was facing charges on that end. Why it came to this end, timely or not, is interesting enough. But we'll probably find out more as this case not quite closed. The issue, I guess, probably is. And finally, 15 this week, scientists discover first new HIV strain in nearly two decades. We pulled this from CNN.com Wednesday, the 6th of November, also when we posted this one as well. I'm going to read you a few lines for this one because this is a very interesting one and very important one, I believe. For the first time in 19 years, a team of scientists has detected a new strain of HIV. The strain is part of Group M version of HIV-1, the same family of viruses subtypes to blame for the global HIV pandemic, according to Abbott Laboratories, which conducts the research along with the University of Missouri, Kansas City. The findings were published Wednesday in the Journal of Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndromes. HIV has several different subtypes or strains, and like other viruses, has the ability to change and mutate over time. This is the first new Group M HIV strain identified since guidelines for classifying subtypes was established in 2000. It is important to know that what strains of the virus are circulating to ensure the tests can use to detect diseases are effective. Uh, you can go deeper into the article by going to thisisaconversation.com. Click on the link for this week's podcast. Of course, podcast ending on the week ending 11-9-2019 and go deeper into this story. And literally any story we talked about, including our opening tease on women and granny panties. But I'm not going to talk about that. You have to read that on your own. But because I'm saying that, that means we're obviously done with our podcast for this week. We've reached the end of the line of all the stories we're talking about. 208 different stories posted this week. And we're already well underway to getting a good batch for the upcoming week. We never know how many we get in until we get to cutting them off in the countdown. So we'll let you know next week what the full number is and what number constitute our almost irrelevant one. Uh, but we will tell you about that one and, of course, let you know which stories are the tops, the ones most conversational, not just whatever stuck, stuck on the headline news all day long. Whatever you said was the big story for the week, you make this happen. And you simply make it happen by just doing what you're already doing, following us on social media and engaging in the stories that get your interest. On Twitter, TH underscore conversation. On Instagram and Facebook, look for This is the Conversation and make sure that Facebook is, or for Facebook, we are a default setting for your feed and information. As you see the stories coming down the line, about every 50 minutes or so, we'll put down a new story. Like it, love it, hate it, share it, respond to it. The more engagement you give to a story, the higher score it gets. At the end of the week, we put them in a spreadsheet that weighs things out and gives a raw score from top to bottom. And we'll let you know what stories are at the top and the very bottom every single week. 
the podcast is very important a part of this thing because we need people listening to the podcast. So make sure that you are subscribed yourself. And then, of course, share it with friends, share it with enemies, share it with random strangers. Find some person on the street and grab their phone and subscribe to the podcast for them and hand it back to them. Make sure that you know they know exactly how much you love them, spreading the love and joy of the podcast. We're found pretty much anywhere your pods are found. But if you can't find an exact way to how to find us, go to thisistheconversation.com and you can see links to all the different podcatchers that are there. Email us at theconversationinbox at gmail.com for all your needs as well. And you can check out more things that are going on in Jay Cleveland Payne's world by going to jclevenpayne.net, oddly enough, named after me. This is where I say thank you three times, give you something, do the reason why I'm thankful, and then thank you three more times. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This podcast, this movement, the whole thing we do here is not done without your help, your participation, your being a part of this. So I am very profusely, very greatly happy that you are a part of this so that I have something to do. It's a labor of love. It's a labor itself, but it, it, it is something that I love to do. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, and it's very important, this whole thing is powered by you. So help us keep things going by checking us out on Patreon and becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash this is conversation. Buy me a coffee at buy me a coffee at jclevenpain.net. Visit our sponsors at the website and check out our main sponsor, our spotlight sponsor this week, which is Cloud9 Living. This is conversation.com slash cloud9. And of course, our spotlight for the week in podcast goes to Spy Stories. Spystories.podbean.com. Check them out for a great palate cleansing on all this weird political and news debate. Get something that's really, really meaty as well. So, all that, thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll see you next week for we give you what stories that you said were the top of the news stories. Not what any news director says, not what some person in the PR group, but what you said by going through the stories yourselves with the weekly wrap-up show from This Is Conversation. We'll see you next week.